God, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, Amen. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us and have recourse to thee. Our Lady, help of Christians, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Welcome to the February meeting of the Pro Fide Forum. Well, now this evening we're delighted to have a return visit from Father Thwaites, who is going to talk about the spirit world and the Catholic attitude towards it. Father hates to be praised, especially in public, but I wouldn't be doing my job correctly if I didn't say how pleased we were that he's coming back and how much we have always enjoyed his visits. Father Thwaites. God, the uncreated being, the source of everything that is, I'll read a definition from Hardin's, Hardin's uh, Modern Dictionary. The one absolutely and infinitely perfect spirit who is the creator of all, in the definition of the First Vatican Council, 15 internal attributes of God are affirmed besides his role as creator of the universe. Quote, the Holy Catholic Apostolic Roman Church believes and professes that there is one true living God, the creator and Lord of heaven and earth. He is almighty, eternal, beyond measure, incomprehensible, and infinite in intellect, will, and in every perfection. Since he is one unique spiritual substance, entirely simple and unchangeable, he must be declared really and essentially distinct from the world, perfectly happy in himself and by his very nature, and inexpressibly exalted over all things that exist or can be conceived other than himself. So God is the one being who cannot not exist. God alone must be. And all other beings exist only because of the will of God. And so God's infinite in every way. And yet, we Christians know of a, what seems almost to be a limitation in God. We know that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that those who believe in him should not perish but might have eternal life. We Christians know, because God himself has told us so, that he has a, a quite unaccountable weakness for us human beings. And uh, it looks like a weakness, but it can't be a weakness, of course. It must be a perfection. Maybe because just to show us that his mercy is indeed above all his works. But it does seem so extraordinary. If you ask, why did God become man? When people ask, uh, you know, why should we have this sort of world? And why does God make it? The only answer I can ever think of is that Our Lady must be the answer. That in the world that God's made, with sin and suffering, we have our Blessed Lady, Mother of Sorrows, with all her holiness. And, well, if anyone can give a more plausible reason why God should 
create, other than our lady, I'd be interested to hear it, but realizing that must be the answer. There's a physical law of gravity we know. Mass uh, attracts, uh, the great mass of the earth attracts other things to it. And the greater mass of the sun keeps us planets going around. And there's a sort of spiritual law of gravity in that uh, all creatures tend towards God and are attracted towards him. Can't call it law of gravity, I suppose, law of levity. Or certainly, the more people give way to that attraction, the more light-hearted they are. But the whole of our existence is tied up with God, and we can't help but, uh, but want him. And to resist that means that we're turning, t- turning away from our true happiness. If a stone is thrown up in the air, when it stops going up and starts falling down, if, if it could think, it would realize, yes, I'm meant to be falling down. And a human being, unless we're directing our lives towards God, we are creating within us a sort of inattention that no psychiatrist can heal. We're made for God. Then, of the created uh, spirits, angels. They love and adore God. That's their eternal happiness, and we know that they love us. In Holy Scripture, from the angel that told, that said, Abraham, Abraham, and stopped him slaying his son Isaac, to the angel that uh, let St. Peter out of prison, Holy Scripture is full of the activities of angels, all working for us. Well, it was for us men and for our salvation that God himself came down from heaven, and everything in his creation seems to be geared towards helping our sinners get to heaven. And so angels are very active. And they didn't stop uh, then. If you've been in York, the bar convent in York, uh, the IBVMs, the, the, the Mary Ward nuns are there. They've been there a long time. In one of the riots, I think it was the Gordon riots, or I think late 17th or early 18th century, there was some anti-Catholic riot, and they were told that the convent was going to be sacked. So they sent the girls home, and they put away their more valuable, I suppose, the sacred vessels, and they, they were praying inside the convent, and they heard the crowd outside, and it was getting more and more menacing, and suddenly it was completely still, and then they heard everyone going away. And they learned afterwards that everyone in the crowd had seen somebody on a horse, on the standing on the roof, shaking his sword at them. And they all knew it was St. Michael. Just inside the front door, they had a little picture of St. Michael. And every year now, the youngest child carries it in procession around the school, and they sing hymns. But uh, So the angels are continually working on our behalf. And we each, we know, have our own personal guardian angel. And, well, we have to pray to our guardian angels. They can't feel nettled by ingratitude, I suppose, but ingratitude is not a nice thing. So every day we we have to pray to our guardian angel. They must have helped us in so many ways. 
I remember during the war, I never got malaria in Singapore or Thailand. I used to picture myself, my guardian angel, like a sort of fighter pilot shooting down the, the Anopheles mosquitoes to stop me getting... I remember once a Japanese shell went off right at my, It didn't go off. It landed right at my feet and didn't go off. I somehow at the time took it for granted. But later on I thought, well, it might have gone off. But I suppose that's what guardian angels uh, delight in doing in protecting us when God sees that uh, we need protecting. So our guardian angels, they love us and we have to love them and, uh, and we shouldn't wait till we get to heaven to thank them. We should thank them a lot now. Then we get on to, uh, <coughs> to demons and to separated souls, ghosts, uh, human beings who, who've died. I'll just read something from uh, Deuteronomy to see what Revelation tells us about this. And this is revealed religion right at the beginning. This is with Moses. When you come into the land that the Lord your God gives you, you must not fall into the habit of imitating the detestable practices of the natives. There must never be anyone among you who makes his son or daughter pass through fire, who practices divination, who's soothsayer, augur, or sorcerer, who uses charms, consults ghosts or spirits, or calls up the dead. For the man who does these things is detestable to the Lord your God, and it's because of these detestable practices that the Lord your God is driving these nations before you. So, all that sort of thing is forbidden us by revelation. Today, a man asked me about horoscopes. Amazing. <laughs> the addiction people have got to these things. And I was telling him that... Uh, The trouble with horoscopes is that it seems to put something between you and God. I mean, we've got our free will, we've got God's grace, and there's nothing in between. And I said to him, you know, we don't have to buy the Daily Mirror to find out what God's will is. We don't have to read horoscopes, it's crazy, the whole idea of it. And so it's, uh, it's stupid to allow oneself that pastime of that sort of recreation of, of looking at horoscopes. It's all a lot of nonsense, and it's a pagan thing. I remember a man once, actually in church, asked me to bless his zodiac ring. <laughs> that, that's absolute paganism. So uh, we should never allow ourselves that sort of thing. And as for the idea of, of seances and spiritualism, a priest told me, because if their heads condemned, try to call up the dead, a priest told me that a, a woman in his parish had a son, a, a boy, who died, and she was so distraught, and she started going to uh, spiritualist se seances, and she got in touch with her son, she said. And she told the priest this, because it, it had cheered her up. Cheered her up, her son, and said he was all right, doing <coughs> fine. So she told the priest this, and he said, you mustn't go to these things, we're not allowed to. She said, well, you come along, you know him. You'll hear him talk. So the priest did go along. And he heard the, bo the boy's voice, all right. I must say, this was the boy. So he said, I command you in the name of the Holy Trinity, tell us who you really are. And the voice came back and said, I'm a demon. She was horrified. We have to, be, we have to obey the, our ch mother of the church in these matters. The church had a lot of experience. 
I, I'll deal with demons first. Uh, I wouldn't want to end with them. What's important is, is the Holy Trinity and angels and, and ourselves. Demons, it's a fat of them a lot who gave a whole evening to talking about them. And I've read a little bit. Uh, I don't like to read about it. Because of a, well, I'll talk about this later, how we mustn't give way to curiosity. But uh, the conclusions I've come to have not come from what I've read. They simply come from our faith. I've read books and really they often don't seem to get the right, the, the, the right answer to things. So really I think it's our Catholic faith provides the answer that we need to, to these problems. So in what concerns the spiritual world, I say witchcraft and ghosts, uh, I'll make three points. First of all, we should not be frightened. Secondly, we must not be curious. And thirdly, we must shelter behind our Blessed Lady. And if it's a matter of people who died, ghosts, then we should have a mass offered for them, if there's some place that's haunted. One time I felt completely out of my depth. Uh, in the estate where I live, uh, in Brixton, somebody was murdered. It was a lapsed Catholic murdered him. I called at the house not long before. And the man said, well, yeah, they were Catholics, but they didn't have any time for that now. And he was playing, I think, drafts with this man. And when they finished the game, he just stabbed him and killed him, and then sat waiting for the police. Extraordinary. But the man who was murdered started appearing in the estate. And he'd come back to his house at, at night, and his parents would hear him go upstairs, go to his room, and then hear him pouring out money and laughing. Other people saw him. One of his drinking companions, his wife told me with great amusement, one of his drinking companions saw him one evening and this frightened him so much he started coming over early to his wife's delight. So uh, I was offered mass for this man who'd been murdered but the haunting still went on. So I thought, well, maybe it's a demon imitating him. So I went and blessed the place, the holy water. And uh, still these hauntings went on. So I rang the vicar general of the diocese and said, well, what do I do? Uh, and he said, have you heard anything yourself or seen anything yourself? I said, no. He said, well, get a bit of personal experience. As I said in the army, time spent in personal reconnaissance is seldom wasted. So I went along there one night with my sleeping bag, and uh, the room was completely cleared where he went. And, uh, well, I did say a rosary, uh, and then I lay down. It was all very, it was quite late. I was listening very intently, no noise at all, and I had a strange sort of ticking noise. I listened. It was my own stomach. <laughs> well, I heard nothing all that night. I mean, nothing else. So I left next morning. And uh, then as soon as I left, the man came back and the, and the parents heard him. I, I say that because people, I've told that story, people said, weren't you frightened? And I said, we mustn't be. I had a certain amount of trepidation, perhaps. But... We must not let ourselves be frightened by these things. We're human beings. God's our father. Mary's our mother. We're not just anything. And to let ourselves be frightened by demons or ghosts would be very wrong. Very wrong to be frightened by demons because God's called us to salvation and the demons know they're going to spend their eternity in hell. Very wrong to be, let ourselves be frightened by ghosts 
because they are brothers and sisters who, who passed on. So, uh, first of all, about demons, uh, uh, one or two quotes from Holy Scripture, Psalm 90. Uh, His truth shall encompass thee with a shield. Thou shalt not be afraid of the, of the terror of the night. Uh, God's truth <coughs> will be a, a protection. The truth about our religion. And that should make us not frightened of anything that happens at night. On another psalm, God will make it that I despise my enemies. I must say, I was frightened once. I was really sort of caught off my guard. I was visiting a house, and I must have got the wrong address. I remember there was long grass in the front garden, and I saw an empty vodka bottle lying there. And I rang the bell, and nobody came, and I felt sudden, suddenly very frightened. And when nobody eventually came, I, I sort of hurried very quickly out of the place. And I learned afterwards that the, a coven met in that road, uh, a, a witches' meeting, and I think it must have been that house. Well, when we panic, when we're caught off our guard, uh, it, it, you can't help it, but it's good to be sort of on one's guard against any sort of fright. We should not let ourselves be frightened by these things. Our attitude to demons, I think, should be like the attitude we should have towards a dog that doesn't like you. Uh, if, if a dog seems a bit hostile and you show yourself frightened, why do I say this? But Padre Pio, he, he was, uh, has suffered so much from demons, he sometimes had to ask one of the other friars to spend the night in his cell. He, uh, he was troubled a great deal and damaged a great deal by demons. But by way of principle, we, we should not let ourselves be frightened by them, whatever they do. I think a model could be St. Anthony Abbott. Some demons came in the disguise of horrible animals around his little cave in the desert. And he came out of his cave and said, Look, if God's given you part of harm, carry on. If he hasn't, why make all that noise? And he went back into his cell. Let me just read a definition again from Hardin's dictionary. Devil, a fallen angel or evil spirit, especially the chief of the rebellious angels, Lucifer or Satan. Adorned at his creation with sanctifying grace, he sinned by pride, and along with many other angelic beings, was denied the beatific vision. His abode is hell, and he does not enjoy the benefits of Christ's redemption. Yet the devil remains a rational spirit confirmed in evil who is allowed by God to exercise some influence on living and inanimate creatures. We shouldn't let ourselves be frightened by demons. In the autobiography of St. Therese, I, I think she says somewhere that she had a dream when she was a child and she dreamt she was outside her bedroom looking in through the window <clears throat> and she saw two little demons running around and they caught sight of her, and they were frightened. They tried to hide from her. And the lesson she drew from that was that a child in a state of grace is an object of fear to demons. St. Peter says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. 
So with our faith, we uh, should be confident that demons uh, cannot hurt us any more than God allows them to. Sure, they hate us, and uh, they're our constant enemy, and we uh, shouldn't be ignorant of their malice. It's, it's, there's a danger in being ignorant of the enemy. During the war, I remember, we used to get lectures on German tactics, you know, how the Germans fought. And I thought, really? I mean, I don't even know how I meant to fight myself. It seems a bit much having to learn how the Germans fought. But then when it came to fighting the Japs, really, they made fools of us because what they did, they put on ordinary clothing, and we just got out there. We didn't know the difference between a Japanese and a Filipino and a... There were just, you know, various people who lived out there. They put on ordinary clothing, put a few weapons inside their shirt, and they just bicycled through our lines. And, and then when they were the other side, on our side, they started doing damage. So it, it does help to know something of the enemy. Demons, uh, if, if we face up to them, like, like an angry dog, if a dog... Uh, shows himself uh, hostile and you run away, he goes after you. If you show yourself hostile against the dog, it's the only way to deal with them, I think. Mind you, I've been bitten twice, but that's always from behind. (laughs) (laughs) On our estate, these, these children, there are a lot of very savage dogs which are left in the yard behind the house during the day while the owners are out at work or somewhere. And what the children do, they put some stones in their pockets and climb on top of the wall and then throw stones at the dog, get the dog actually raving mad. And then when somebody's walking fast, when he's gone fast, one of them jumps down, opens the gate, and the dog comes out to him, and he goes straight to the person. These four to five little children, it's an endless sort of merriment to them. <laughs> so you can't help being bitten from behind, but if a dog covers for you, then you have to go for the dog. And I think it must be the same with demons. That if we show ourselves frightened, they enjoy it. It boosts their ego. But we have to show ourselves scornful. And that's why I'd say it's foolish to give way to to, to reading about them or talking about them too much. They've got to be taught their place. Uh, The church, our mother, gives us all sorts of protection against them. Holy water, holy water is blessed against demons. Uh, and, and we should use that. I remember in the story of John Gerard. I forget who she was. She was imprisoned in the tower. And she saw Top, Topcliffe, that terrible, he tortured Catholics, didn't he? She saw him on his horse just under her window. So she thought, a bit of holy water won't do him any harm. So she sprinkled some holy water down. And the horse reared up straight away and... So we have to use holy water against evil spirits, put crucifixes around, and ourselves always wear a a blessed crucifix or a medal of Our Lady. Now, curiosity. So first of all, we mustn't be frightened of them. Secondly, we must not give way to curiosity. Very dangerous. Because of original sin, we can be tempted to an, an unhealthy curiosity. Our first parents... Uh, the way they fell. It was because of a sort of curiosity. They were tempted to to want to know more than they should know. People can have 
an unhealthy curiosity about sex, about drugs, and about the occult. And of these, the most dangerous is curiosity about the occult. Why? Because there's a person on the other end, a person whom we can't see, just waiting for us to indulge our curiosity. I met a lad from Trinidad. He told me he'd been exorcised three times already out there. He said he'd wanted to see something, and he had. He'd seen three beings, and the one sitting in the middle was the most powerful. And he had an awful addiction about demons. He had a whole lot of books about them. It's very dangerous to go in for that. It's very easy to get into touch with demons, but once people have done that, they can quite find it quite hard to get away from it all. Let me read just one more definition. Occultism, the theory and practice of invoking superhuman but not divine powers in order to obtain results that are beyond the capacity of mere nature. In this category belong Satanism, Fetishism, black and white magic, spiritism, theosophy, divination and witchcraft. Curiosity. How do people trap a wild animal? By appealing to their curiosity, I think. They put something strange there and the animal goes towards it and that, then they're caught. So we, we shouldn't be curious about things. Uh, all that we need to know, <coughs> our, our Holy Mother of the Church has told us, all we need to know about the next world, about God, we learn from, from our Mother of the Church and we shouldn't uh, want to know more. A priest told me that he was woken up at two o'clock one morning by a couple of women. This is somewhere out in Surrey. And they said, could they spend the rest of the night sitting in his sitting room? And they'd been to some housewarming party and they got talking about demons and they'd asked, they said, well, if there was a devil, let's see you. And they'd all seen something and they'd just got in their cars and they fled from the house terrified. So uh, the, the demons do exist and uh, we've just got to keep away from them uh, and, and not uh, want to read anything about them and therefore, as I say, keep away from reading anything about your horoscope and uh, when there's articles about Satanism as there seem to be more and more, witchcraft is very much on the increase in this country without doubt the chief wizard apparently said there could now be a hundred thousand witches I gave a retreat once in an Anglican convent and they told me that a young man this was in Bournemouth or somewhere around there a young man had been offered the job of chief wizard in that part of England and someone persuaded him to come to the convent to make a retreat before you know, he did anything he came for the weekend left behind a pile of cigarette ends but he took the job he didn't come down to the talks it's a very terrible thing and uh, people go in for it to get power I don't know what but uh, it's a thing that we have to try have a sort of scorn for then thirdly uh, uh, the books I read about about all this I was very surprised to find that they don't mention Our Lady it seemed obvious to me that our faith tells us that Mary it is who's going to crush Satan's head and the demons know it 
And therefore, when we're dealing with anything to do with demons, we have to be like little children. You know when you call to somebody's house, and if it's a small person who's a bit nervous, they get behind their mother, don't they? And they peep out, you know, the side of their leg to see you. That's how we have to be when it comes to anything like this. Our ladies, the ample protection. Demons are absolutely terrified of Mary. Why? I think because they know it, that it's she who's, who's defeating them, and she's only a mere human being, and they're great angels. It's so damaging to their pride to have to sort of bow down before Mary. I read in some mission magazine of a boy, a little boy going along with a rosary round his neck, and he saw the witch doctor, and he was frightened. He tried to hide, and the witch doctor called out and says, All right, when you've got that thing round your neck, I can't hurt you. There's a wall of fire between you and me. And I once did a sort of exorcism, if you call it that, on a girl. When people are possessed, I read somewhere that if it's the case of a child, it's not nearly such a severe possession as when it's adults who want it. If a person wants it, then it's a different matter. But uh, if it's sort of put onto some child by, by a parent, then it's, it's not such a difficult Exalt, uh, demon to dislodge, I suppose you call it that. Anyhow, a family rang me up. They weren't Catholics, but the mother worked at a place n near a woman I know and said, oh, would I go along? That child was being troubled. So I went along. She's got a 14, quite big. And she'd, the father had gone off, I may say, with a woman called Grace. Uh, the girl saw something inside the door inside the window that spoke to her and offered to help her and she said well get daddy to come home again and he said that it couldn't do that because it was Grace which had sent it and then later on it started hurting the girl in the head and that's when they called me in so I blessed the house I gave, her, gave them medals and so on and then this happened about three or four years ago and then a few weeks later about a couple of months later the father rang, he'd come home apparently, the father rang me up very urgently. Would I go over at once? Well, I was going to say Mass, and then I had a class, and well, I forgot then. I got round there about quarter past ten, and the child had been troubled for about four and a half hours now, with intervals of a minute or maybe as much as ten minutes, but often on the whole evening. The father had spoken to the whatever it was troubling her, and it had replied out of his daughter's mouth, but calling him by surname, Mr. Whatever it was. And he told, told it to uh, stop hurting his child, and said he wouldn't. He said, well, we'll protect her from you. He said, we'd get her when she was on her own at school. And then he said, well, why go for her? And the answer came back, she's the weakest one in the family. Then we went back, the father took me to the other room to ask me how much it was going to cost. Then we went back into the other room, and uh, the girl was sitting on the sofa, just looking tired. And it suddenly started. She looked very frightened. Uh, and they sort of jumped on her to hold her down, but the mother and the father and elder brother and sister. And I tried a private prayer, because uh, a priest I know said that a woman... I'd been talking about this case a, a, few, a week or two before. And this young priest told me that a woman in his parish had been possessed and he'd uh, rung up the bishop who sent a priest down 
to exorcise the woman. And it didn't seem to work completely, so he rang the bishop up again and said, it hasn't really worked. The bishop said, well, look, you're a priest, do it yourself. So he did, and, it, and that was it. It apparently worked. So I tried a private prayer, which this priest told me to say, telling the demon to go to the feet of Jesus. But it didn't work. No difference. So I said, let's say the Lord's Prayer. Because a priest I know in Guyana told me that a, a man came to his house one morning who said he was very frightened. He thought it, The priest thought he was drunk, but he said, no, I've got something inside me. He wasn't a Catholic. He'd asked to have his own God. He said, I've got it. I, I don't like it. And the priest heard coming from inside the man all sorts of noises like animals. So he reckoned a man must be possessed. So he said, kneel down here. So the man knelt down. He said, now say this after me. Our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, hallowed be thy name. They went through the Our Father till he got to, but deliver us from evil. He said, but deliver us from evil. And the man didn't answer. He said, say after me, deliver us from evil. The man just shook his head. So he insisted, say after me now, but deliver us from evil. And the man said it and just shot across the room. And the priest picked him up and he was all right. So that must have been a sort of minor exorcism. So I said, let's say the, let's say the Lord's Prayer. So we said the Our Father. And this certainly had an effect. So I said, you go on saying it. And I took out a, mir- I carried a miraculous medals in my pocket. I took one out and blessed it and tied a knot at the end and put it over the girl's head. And she went berserk. She screamed and tried to throw them all off, and then she just collapsed. And that was it. I stayed for another hour and a half, but nothing more happened. It, it must have been some sort of possession, and all that was needed was a medal of Our Lady. And so in all that concerns demons, we need to uh, have Our Lady's protection. And really, I think that's enough for us Catholics. People who aren't Catholics, I don't know how they manage it, but I may say that the people I've had come to me I suppose most of them have not been Catholics. Uh, I remember two women who were troubled in a very unpleasant way by demons. Uh, they weren't Catholics, but uh, they, they do know that, that we Catholics got the measure of it all. St. Francis Xavier, when he was in Japan, he always had a picture of Our Lady when he was going to see these local princes. He always had a picture of Our Lady carried in front of him. So... In all this matter, uh, we do need to uh, make sure that we sort of keep behind our Blessed Lady and, and let ourselves be protected by her, knowing that demons are frightened of us, but they are terrified of our Blessed Lady. Now, lastly, to say something about ghosts. Well, oh, I've got one more definition I'll read. Ghost, a disembodied spirit. Christianity believes that God may and sometimes does permit a departed soul to appear in some visible form to people on earth. Allowing for legend and illusion, there's enough authentic evidence, for example in the lives of the saints, to indicate that such apparitions occur. That purpose may be to teach or warn or request some favour of the living. Ordinarily I take there to request some favour. There are people who are in purgatory. Well, if they are in heaven, I tell people, you know, if you're in heaven, you scarcely want to come back to Brixton. And if they're in hell, of course, you can't get out. Nobody comes out of hell. So it's people who are in purgatory, and they come asking for our help. When I was in the seminary, we were told a sort of uh, horror story. 
to tell us to be very careful, careful about our mass stipends, um, some priest who was sitting in his study one evening, and suddenly he saw his predecessor, who died some years before, his predecessor appeared, who walked across the room, pointed at a sort of book, at a book on the bookshelf, and then disappeared. So the priest got up and pulled the book out and found inside it money and mass intentions. The priest must have accepted these mass intentions, put it in the book, and forgotten about it. So he got a lot of out of purgatory to... Uh, where doubtless he was suffering because of that negligence. So they told us that story to make sure we went, didn't get careless. But it, that story, it does show the nature and the purpose of ghosts. If you're walking along the road and somebody's left a, a, a manhole cover over, say a place where they were delivering beer to some pub, and they left a big manhole cover open and you fall down, and there you are, 12 foot below the pavement, and no sort of door to get out. You might start calling up, help, help, somebody there. And if people got frightened and ran away, or start started making jokes about it, you, you'd be annoyed. You'd think, how stupid, why doesn't somebody put a ladder down or go and get some help or something? Well, if people are in purgatory and nobody's praying for them, what are they going to do? <coughs> I remember a man said that his house was haunted. And so I went along and uh, I blessed it. And it went on being... He, when he was alone in the house, he had somebody going up and down stairs. So uh, it, it was still... The, the thing went on after I blessed the house. So I thought, oh, well, it, it, it must be different. So I said a mass for whoever it was. No more haunting. Another case a man who had no religion at all uh, he'd bought a bungalow somewhere on the Kent coast and it was haunted and uh, the, the main light switch was turned off a, a little thing to the loft was uh, moved and he had his sister-in-law staying there with him they only just moved into the place and they had these uh, Ouija boards or where you sort of get messages with a glass moving around the alphabet. And they got in touch with uh, uh, a boy. His name was Crawley, that was the surname. And th this family was a father and a mother and a dog and a boy. And uh, this voice said he was, he was going to stay there. He enjoyed it. He liked their company. It was before Christmas, and one of the questions they asked him... They said, did he want any for Christmas? And he said, no. And then they said, go on, you want something? He said, a toy dog. And the mother nearly, nearly burst into tears. It was so pathetic. They asked him if he liked his father. And a very strong no came back, so the glass nearly went off the table. Well, the man went down to the pub and asked, uh, anyone heard of the family Crawley? They said, yes, they were living in your bungalow before you, before you came here. He mentioned they weren't married. Anyhow, the man, he just got back and he came across and said his wife was so frightened, she said she couldn't stay there. So I said mass straight away. It was the afternoon, but I said mass, I said another mass for this boy. And that was the end of it. No more haunting, no more things moved, no more trouble. So, if there's cases, cases of haunting, then we should have mass offered for whoever it is. I've offered so many masses. There was a house in Brixton that was... People said they're the only people left in the house. All the other tenants have been so frightened of this ghost. They called the ghost Charlie. 
and they were left alone in this big house so I offered mass for this Charlie and I never met the man again <laughs> so that's what we have to do when we come across any sort of haunting I read in a book about the sort of pre-reformation England a bishop in the west country called Bishop Bartholomew using a visitation of some parish and in the middle of the night he woke up to uh, say divine office with his the, the priest went round with him and the light had gone out so he sent the priest into the village to get a light and the bishop stood by the open window which looked out on the cemetery there was no moon and he heard a voice saying oh dear who's going to pray for us now who's going to have mass offered for us now he couldn't see anyone because it was dark then the the priest came back there was a house at the other end of the village where someone had died and he got a light there Next morning, the bishop went round to the house and found that some good man had lived there who always had a mass offered every week for the souls in purgatory. So it must have been these good souls who were complaining among themselves. God allowed the bishop to hear this. Of course, the bishop made arrangements for the mass to be continue being said. So we have to think any sort of haunting. To think that we should be frightened is very wrong. We shouldn't let ourselves be frightened by any of that. There are people whom God allows back. I read somewhere that if people have a great devotion to the Blessed Sacrament, they're allowed to spend their purgatory near the Blessed Sacrament. I knew a man called David Rose, and a very holy man. He was killed suddenly that the scaffolding fell on him. He used to go to daily Mass, and at the funerals, whoever preached said that if anyone was ready, for a certain death, it was David Rose. And his mother, she used to go to Mass every day too. She said when she was at Mass, she knew he was there. She knew exactly where he was. She couldn't see him. He was just in the sanctuary. And I'd read recently in some saint's life of this saint, at his archbishop. After Mass, his archbishop always got up and didn't make, made hardly any thanksgiving. He just all went out. And after the archbishop's death, he used to see this archbishop near the tabernacle as he was making his purgatory. So, if it comes to any sort of haunting, our attitude should be one of compassion and we should have uh, mass offered for whoever it is who's still not found his eternal peace and rest. But never let ourselves be frightened. In fact, we shouldn't let ourselves be frightened by any of this. The only things that we should be frightened of is offending God. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you very much, Father. It took me by surprise. The time has gone so quickly. But no doubt we'll have plenty of contributions for our discussion and debate. Just um, before we start that, I'd like to draw your attention to the books at the back and to one in particular which um, I would recommend, having been partly responsible for its production, that is the book about the resurrection. It is by Canon Drinkwater, and he wrote it at the age of 94. He did the proofreading himself, which is quite evident when you read the book. And at that time, and all through his life, he was a great letter writer, Canon Drinkwater, and people used to write to him from all over the world with various problems, various questions, various, various things that they used to ask his opinion on. And around about this time, as I was 
I was um, associated with him. I had a letter from a Jesuit father who um, asked me to put this particular question to Canon Drinkwater, which I did. And Canon was engaged upon writing the book at the time. But he used to write to me occasionally. When he wrote the next time, he said, um, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm not um, able to answer the question. He said, it's not that I'm not able in my mind, but I haven't a lot of energy left. He said, and I'm devoting it all to the resurrection. I will only answer questions on the resurrection. Because that is the centra- central point of our faith. And that was when he wrote this book because he knew that there were some modern theologians who were talking about digging up the bones of Jesus in the Middle East, goodness knows what, and he wrote a very a very readable defence of the not the not the church's normal defence, but a, a very personal defence from scripture of the fact of the resurrection, which is what it's called. Quite good reading around about this time. Well, now, having said that, who would like to start our discussion? Have we a ghost in the house? We always have this problem at the beginning, Father. At the end, we um, we find it difficult to stop. There is one here, Sister One. Gentlemen, I think we ought to have a plant sometimes to start us off. Um, uh, would I be right in thinking, Father, that ghosts uh, um, or poltergeists, although pathetic, would never ever be malevolent? No, ghosts c- couldn't be malevolent. I read a book of, uh, they dealt with poltergeists. I'd copied it out, but I, I lost it, uh, what they said about it. They said it's just sort of the emotional tension in the house sort of builds up and produces this these effects uh, of things moving around they, they might be sort of playful but I don't see how they could be malevolent if they're malevolent I w- I'd say they're not a poltergeist they'd be a demon uh, it seems to me that uh, a person in purgatory is holy holy souls so how can they be malevolent if, uh, on the other hand, they can imitate all sorts of things demons can, the devil can imitate anyone, our lady or Christ or any of the saints. Or any. So they can certainly imitate people who've died uh, and make us want to think that it's a poltergeist when really it's just a demon trying his luck and trying to get us upset. Don't see how poltergeist, but it's on de- definition. If it's, if it's a, a, a soul, they, they can't be malevolent. So if it's malevolent, it'll be a demon, as you be dealt with accordingly. That's publicity, the, the so-called apparitions or messages that Medjugorje is receiving now, I understand that it's uh, increasingly becoming a problem uh, for some who accept it and also for many people who don't but would it not be possible for the church to decree 
some form of uh, mass or some form of uh, service, whatever, to try to determine whether the apparitions or the messages which have been going on for seven years now are to be accepted or not. Yes, it would be possible, I suppose, but really this is a bit of... Uh, I've got quite strong views about this, and uh, it really take us off of the... Something matters with the church could, but and I just wonder why the church hasn't. Uh, they must have good reasons for not having done so. Maybe there is a, 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 a very many, many millions of people, obviously very enthusiastic about it, and and I'm sure it's done some good. But of course, so the Salvationists, so the Methodists. I mean, for my part, I don't belong with it at all. But uh, the church could, I suppose. I mean, a lot of things. Sometimes I wonder why the Pope doesn't do this, doesn't do that, but. We don't know what pressure the Holy See is not under. <coughs> we just have to pray for a, for a happy solution to the problem. But for my part, I'd, I'd be uh, frightened to go there. I know all sorts of people urge me to go. I'd be quite frightened. Because when, when people uh, say, well, I'll go and find out for myself, it seems to me they don't even know the name of the game because they're implying that a human intelligence let's imagine for a moment that it could be a demon they're implying that a human intelligence can get the measure of an angelic intelligence which we obviously can't it's only the church is able to uh, decide these things and so if a person goes and uh, thinks, well, I'll, I'll make up my own mind, I think that's frightfully rash. I, I wouldn't dare make up my mind about anything like that. And for, for my part, I take it that uh, it's, uh, it's the bishop who... Uh, <coughs> ..has the charism to decide. A, a bishop is there, I, I think, by divine right. Sure, the Pope can move a bishop. But once a man's made bishop of a, an area, he is there by divine right, and there's no one superior to him. This is right off the, off the subject, but it does, it's, it's a point, I think, that's quite important. When uh, Bishop born of Southwark was moved to Westminster to become cardinal, he got Father Amigo made bishop in his place. And it wasn't long before a quarrel arose between the two of them about who was to be rector at Wanish. Cardinal Bourne wanted his man, and Bishop Amigo wanted his man. Uh, the dispute went to Rome, and Rome decided in favour of Bishop Amigo. Had to, because he was the bishop. There's no one senior to a bishop in his own diocese. He's ruler by divine right. And so, in, in that matter, I wrote to the bishop, and I got a negative answer, and that's what I go by, unless Rome reverses it. So when people think that uh, th they can uh, decide these things themselves, I think it's very the whole attitude is wrong. It's not Catholic. 
we cannot get the measure of, of demons. Uh, they're far more powerful, far more intelligent than we are. And they can certainly deceive us, as that in the past they've deceived, men, deceived many of the saints. Many of the saints have been deceived temporarily, momentarily at least, by demons. They, they think they're seeing someone, and I mean, Padre Pio, for example. He, uh, Don Alessio, whom he saw every day, several times a day, came into a cell one day, and suddenly Padre Pio thought, is this Don Alessio? And he said, say, viva Gesù, disappeared. And then later on, Father Alessio himself really came in, and so he said to him, say, viva, viva Gesù. And Don Alessio said, viva Gesù, it was him, all right. Uh, but Padre Pio was deceived. We didn't deceive Padre Pio, we didn't deceive anyone. So, uh, we have to be very humble in this matter, I think, and uh, always leave it to Holy Mother Church. And for my part, I go to Lourdes, I go to Fatima, I've been to Banobo, you know, these places approved by the church, okay. But I'd be frightened to go to a place that wasn't, because it's certainly within Satan's competence to flood people with spiritual joy. <coughs> to uh, give them a tremendous spiritual uplift, to speak to them. A chap got back from Medjugorje recently and said that he had a strong, uh, I think but a sort of powerful voice within him, uh, saying, go home and spread the message of Medjugorje. And so he's come and he's raised a lot of money, going to publish a book about Medjugorje. But he, he got immense satisfaction and spiritual consolation and it's very dangerous to, to want that sort of thing. The devil can give us many spiritual goodies. We wouldn't want to have anything from demons. So we have to treat the whole of that side of things with scorn. And we should want in our spiritual life to go the ordinary, humble way of loving the sacraments, saying our rosary, you know, being a humble child of Holy Mother Church, and not seeing there's any shortcut to sanctity except the way of the cross. But to think that, you know, by holding hands and we can get spiritual up, up we, to go anywhere wanting a spiritual uplift, very dangerous. Really it is. We should just want to do God's holy will. So, for my part, I'm scared. people have persuaded me, trying to persuade me to go, I'd be frightened to go. For exactly the same reason as I'd be frightened to go to a blue film. Because, uh, God gives virtue, and whatever chastity a person's got, you've got to hang on to it. And whatever faith we've got, you've got to hang on to it. And I think to go to these places could be a risk to faith. In the same way, perhaps, as reading horoscopes can be a risk to faith, because we should get our faith from uh, the church. And if I go somewhere and they say, say your rosary three times a day, and I say it three times a day because of that message. No, I should say my rosary because the popes have been telling us for centuries to say our rosary. Because the church urges us to say our rosary. Because Mary at, at Fatima told us, authenticated by, by the Holy See, our lady told us to say our rosary. We should do our things motivated by our Catholic faith, not by anything else. So that's a big digression. Uh, perhaps it's, I shouldn't have made it, but...
of how infant children some years ago dealt with temptation. They were children up to the age of seven and it was at a time when we could tell children about the devil and we could talk about angels. They weren't frightened of being alone ever because they knew their guardian angel was with them. They could never say they were alone. But they also were taught that the devil disliked people making the sign of the cross. We made a big thing of that to encourage them to make the sign of the cross reverently. And they'd come in sometimes and they'd be so delighted. I was going to do so and so and I remember what you said and I made the sign of the cross carefully. But there was one little boy, he was about seven, always getting into trouble and always saying it was Tom or Mick or Pat made him do something. So we said, you know, it may not be Tom or Mick or Pat. You know there are the devil's angels around, don't you? Oh, yes, miss. Well, I said, why not try the same idea? When Tom or Mick tells you to do this, you very quietly make the sign of the cross with your thumb. And I think then you'll find you won't be naughty. In a few days I'd forgotten all about this. And suddenly during a playtime I heard this boy's voice shouting across the playground, Miss, it worked! Miss, it worked! And I couldn't think what had worked. I said, what's worked? Well, he said, you know, so-and-so and -and -and so-and-so wanted me to do this. He said, and I remember what you said. He said, and I made a little sign of the cross. He said, and the devil was so mad with me I didn't do it. We had um, an example there, Father, and you gave one. During your talk, you mentioned ghosts who come back for to, to have something done. And um, I have heard of cases where <laughs> Almighty God allows ghosts to come back in order to give succor and to do good. Would that be so? Well, this man's mother did appear to him and it certainly did him good yes uh, and uh, I, it is a Catholic practice to pray to the holy souls in purgatory for help during the penal times I read of some priest who was visiting a house and he was in the hall and talking to the woman in the house and suddenly the perseverance arrived or somebody if not perseverance at least somebody who would certainly have made sure he was arrested if you'd been caught there, and there wasn't time to hide, so he just got under the table, which had long tablecloths down to the ground. And he was under the table, and he suddenly remembered he'd left the pigs lying on top of the tablecloth. And so he recommended the whole thing to the holy souls in purgatory, and the man came, and they sat at the table and talking, and he saw this thing right in front of him, and he never saw it somehow. So uh, certainly we can pray to the... People have said to me they get anything they want from the holy souls in purgatory. And so to pray to them, it's, uh, it is a good Catholic practice. Being only a convert, I use an alarm clock. Father, <laughs> <laughs> I had this peculiar experience, but I think I didn't, it was the devil or not, but I was working then and I was in my room and my bed seemed to be going down and I heard a voice saying, 
Oh, don't think you will go to heaven. You're going to the land of the sticks. And I didn't know what the sticks was. And I found out afterwards it's a Greek underworld, isn't it? A river, yes. Well, why did he do that to me? Well, I suppose he wanted to frighten you. Try, trying to frighten you. No. Because if I tell my sister anybody, they think I'm nuts. <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> because one day, when I was staying with her, and she had a granddaughter, and her granddaughter had left her gold watch on the mantelpiece, and I was staying in another room, and I came in, and I said, Oh, Colleen, somebody's been in this room. I couldn't tell you who. Later on, the watch had gone, so somebody had been in that room and stolen it. My mother appeared to me after her death. She's she's in heaven. And I've had many experiences like that, for which I thank God. But some people think I'm mental. Remember, fathers began his talk by referring to the supreme spirit to God. Um, have we any questions, any discussions on God? We've talked a lot about demons and ghosts. Um, if you want a question, give him the time. Uh, about the apparitions in Yugoslavia. Uh, what disturbs me, me was, um, I read somewhere, uh, one of the um, uh, visionaries was asked um, what questions had asked her lady. And uh, she said, oh, uh, how are our football team going to do on Saturday? And having read about Lourdes over the years, uh, that disturbed me, apart from one very good judge uh, um, I met round uh, at Legion Mary meeting some time back, who quoted um, a brother Dennis, uh, a Frenchman who's written a lot on Lourdes, and uh, he, he's a bit uneasy. But then uh, in, in all these things, uh, I can remember Father telling us at a previous meeting, perhaps it was at the CEG, I'm not certain, that it's better to hold your fire till the uh, church proclaims one way or the other or does officially give the sanction that it's true. But I I felt to myself, um, if if these things were genuine, um, the children would have been on on, on a different plane. A a question of that sort wouldn't enter the mind. Not not, not if you, when you've read what... um, we do know what appeared between uh, the little seer of Lourdes and, and uh, Our Lady. But again, if the church says it's a subsequent date, uh, you, you can believe in it, then, then uh, I'll accept it. But it still won't be a dogma of faith, will it? No. Father, on the subject of the good angels, um, does the church teach that um, they were uh, redeemed, you know, as we understand Our Lady to be redeemed, or are they beings that um, were 
in fact not in need of, of, of redemption. I, I've never, never been clear on that uh, point. But redemption follows on Adam's sin that uh, uh, the human race did need reconciling with God after the sin of our first parents. But uh, before they were admitted to the vision of God, they were set some sort of test. And uh, Satan and the other demons, they, they, uh, they fell. It's, theologians say that it was because they were shown the incarnation and the honor that would be given to our blessed lady and the fact that they have to adore Jesus and venerate his mother. This is too much for their pride. That's what theologians say. But certainly I think we take it that they're, terrible, that they're very proud, no sense of humor. And so, although we take them seriously in one sense, we shouldn't, uh, as I said, any sort of fear of them it does flatter them, merry and we should never give way to that. We just have a sort of scorn for them and make them keep their place. About good angels, about guardian angels, a man told me that he was uh, in, in the North Africa campaign, a pal of his, that they were going through a German minefield and his truck broke down. And they, by the time he got it fixed, the rest of the car, they'd gone out of sight. So there he was, stuck in the middle of a minefield. And suddenly soldier turned up and said, I know, I've got it in my head. I'll stand on the running board and tell you what to do. So he stood on the running board and guided him. And then he said, right, you're in the clear now. I'll just carry straight on. You'll catch up with him. And he hopped off. The man turned around to thank him. There was no one to be seen. It must have been his guardian angel. So God has given us the, this help and... We, we should be conscious of our guardian angels and grateful to God for it. I remember once, it's the only time it's ever happened, that sort of thing, but I was in the seminary and I went up to the spiritual library, I wanted some little book. There was a bigger room with, actually packed with book, bookcases and shelves up to the ceiling. And I thought to myself, I haven't got any idea where this book is. And then I thought, well, my, my good angel knows where it is. And you know, I, went, I went straight across the room and sort of diagonally, put my hand up and took it down. It's quite uncanny. I shouldn't say that, but it, it, uh, in that obviously angels are happy to help us if, if they see we need helping. But we should always be conscious that we've got this marvellous angel whom God's given us individually and who's here to see us safely through to heaven. Well, we have time for one more question or one more contribution. I just want to thank God for the wonderful book he's written on confession. Well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Next month, I'm going to change my job and be the speaker instead of the chairman. I've been getting away from it such a long time now. And as I've recently retired, John said, well, it's time you did something for us. And uh, I must say, I have been getting out of it for a long time. So I don't possess any great knowledge of any great particular part of the church's teaching, but um, I have been involved in Profide for a good number of years now.
and that involvement has perhaps given me some slight advantage in that we have been forced to bring our minds to bear upon the situation in the church and to find reasons why for the, for the fact that so many of us are uneasy in certain parts of the church and certain practices that are coming in. And there are reasons which are put forward. So I'm going to try to bring those reasons, as far as I've discovered, before you at our next meeting in March. And no doubt you'll have plenty to offer yourselves as well. Don't forget, if you would like to hear from John every month on the next month, just a reminder on the next month talk, do um, let him have your name to put in his little blue book, which I normally have on here, but I haven't got it tonight. So I would ask Father to say our closing prayer. Oh, there's one thing, is there something? Oh, there's the little blue book. Good. Thank you, Cecil. Would you mind saying our I believe. Yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come down you remain with you always. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much, Father. Sorry I started off with my cough drop, but... Uh...